One of the keys to walking properly with the Lord is intentionality. Your, your life does not just happen. And there's a saying often among people in the world system, it is what it is. It actually is not is what it is. It is what you believe about it. Amen. <laughs> uh, walking with the Lord, can we turn up, is that as much as the lights are turned up? Or is it, can we just do all like really bright, I like to see people, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I grew up, I was born in 1977. I know I look young, but if you don't sin, you stay young. So <laughs> it's really true. I'm on a planes most of my life and I look at people like, I'm 31. I was like, whatever you're doing, stop. Because that's not working for you. <laughs> you look like you're about, sin does not pay. It really doesn't. But intentionality is a really important part of your life. Uh, walking with the Lord is not like going to a Holy Spirit casino. And uh, meaning that I, I've never gambled. I, I give my money to the Lord. It's much better returns than hoping something might happen. I've never hoped I won the lottery. I just give offerings. I <laughs> uh, guess quiet with that one. So. And usually if you think money is your problem, money is not the problem. That's usually, that actually applies to almost any area of your life. Most of the time, what we think is the problem is not the problem. It's often our perception of the problem. But there's such a, walking with the Lord is not like you, you put in a coin and you hope that God will help you. You actually have to cooperate in moments and, and the ability to distinguish what God is doing in the circumstances around you, what God is speaking, will be a key for your life. Many people will maybe come into a room or a service and they're, they like need a healing or they need a breakthrough for something, but they're looking for something particular, maybe looking for someone to have an altar call. Nothing wrong with that, can happen that way. Maybe looking for a specific prophetic word, but the word can be right in the atmosphere and you can be, you can be asking God for something that he is wanting to give you right in that moment, but if you don't have a discerning ear, you'll miss what he wanted to give you in that moment. And many people, listen to me, Linda, this is for someone. Many people are actually blaming God or secretly offended at God because he's not doing something for them that they're asking, asking him, him for, for, and he was doing it right in front of them, but they failed to discern he wanted, how he wanted to deliver it. So there was something really powerful in that, that tithe and that offering this morning, and I hope you took advantage of that. And uh, most of the time you'll realize where you, sometimes you need deliverance if, if someone talks about money and you start feeling really mad. And sometimes people call it discernment, but it's actually their, 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 their own issues that they need freedom from that is actually keeping them from the freedom that God wants to give them. Now, that wasn't in my notes, but it was in the atmosphere. So I encourage you, not just today, but really position your heart, determine that as you go throughout the day, one of the things I say over myself, I said it for many years now I was married bad, I always say I'm in the right place at the right time in the right season. And because I'm led of the Lord, there's always opportunities everywhere I go. And the favor of God touches everything I do. And there's an opportunity to hear the voice of God, even through little children, even through unsafe people. I'm discerning what God is doing. And as I discern what he's doing, I'm cooperating so I can fulfill the will of God in my life. Huh got that off my chest. So there was, there was, there was something powerful in that offering. So uh, I encourage you to take advantage of those moments, not just offerings. But uh, if, you're, if you don't know anything about me, this is, uh, I, how many realize that God has a sense of humor? Yeah. 
Yeah, he really does. Part of that says the humor is me standing before you today. I never desired to be in ministry, uh, but what qualifies you is, is God's word to you, is what God calls you to do. And, uh, but uh, I've been in full-time ministry now. This is uh, my 22nd year, and uh, most of my adult life has been spent on airplanes, airports, drives, buses. I've been to some countries you probably have not heard of, but it's been a real privilege walking with the Lord in everything he's asked me to do. And uh, on August the 6th, uh, 2022, my life took another beautiful chapter, married my beautiful bride. I think they have a picture of her. It should be up there. There it is. Yeah. And she's, uh, she's not only uh, the partner God sent me, she's also an amazing, anointed uh, preacher of the gospel. And on July the 6th of this year, 2023, we welcomed our first child. We were fruitful and multiplied. We did what the Lord told us to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the most beautiful girl in the world besides my wife. There she is. And she hits the road next week. She's going to go on the road with us. She's, for the most part, my wife's been at home the last few months. But next week, she goes on the road for the next four weeks. And she's getting dedicated every time to all my friends. We have lots of friends around the world. But we'll be at our home church next week. So that's uh, just some of the beauty that's been added. To I wanted to add joy to your life this morning. That's why I'm showing you these. If you come tonight, I'll, I'll show you some more. We take a picture of her every day because we can do that with smartphones. So we're going to document her life and uh, just, just a joy to, to uh, watch children. We have a resource table back there. We don't produce things because we need them to, uh, to sell it to you. Uh, my wife, uh, right before uh, the birth of our child, finished an album that took her two and a half years. It's called Awaken. It's not like a worship album. It's more of a devotional album. People have been encountering the Lord through that. It's available. It's also available on all other platforms. And uh, my first book, how many know that leaders are readers? And you can listen to books. They didn't used to, used to be not be able to listen to. I, I, I've not done that audio book thing. I like to read them. How should you read? Very slowly. <laughs> should. I've read books sometimes five or six times. Uh, learning doesn't happen because you read something. Learning happens because it goes deep on the inside of you, and then it becomes part of your belief system. So first book is about uh, God's desire to re not only release the glory of the Lord in the nations of the world, but also to disciple nations. Go how, how do you disciple nations? You deci only disciple people can disciple nations. I'll try over here. Only, <laughs> some of you are like, I don't know what that means. If my people who are called by my, very, very quoted, you probably quoted this week when you pray. Americans love it. It's good. It's in the Bible. <laughs> you, should, you should read what's in the Bible. It's amazing what you'll find in there. <laughs> if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, notice what he says. I will heal their land. The land doesn't get healed and unless God's people's hearts are healed. So you can, you, you can declare all you want, but unless you're in alignment properly, unless the believer's thinking, and God's desire, he told us, Matthew 28, Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. What is a watchman? It's a watchman is, is someone who takes God's responsibility for the earth seriously. The earth belongs to the believer. 
It's just what you choose to do with it. And, and that's another one about being, being in a, a Holy Spirit. We'll probably touch on it more this morning. Uh, uh, world events are subject to change. So if you don't believe that, then, then don't pray. <laughs> so you'll get that later. I got the quietness. I'm from New Jersey. Grew up in a Hispanic household. We only know straightforward. And uh, so I, I've gotten sanctified, but I'm still very straightforward. So uh, second book is uh, Trust God's Unseen Power to Change the World. The world that you live in is not arbitrary. The world that you live in is determined by what you believe. It is the, it is the fundamental heart of what Jesus taught on the earth. He told Nathaniel, he said, Nathaniel's amazed that he's got this prophetic word, right, that he saw in the tree. He goes, if you believe, you'll see heaven open and angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. So he tells him, your belief system is, is connected to your sight. So how you believe is how you act, and how you act determines how you live on the earth, and how we act as a people determines if the purposes of God are fulfilled in our generation. And this is the shortest part of your existence. So don't get your affections on the wrong thing. All right, let's pray. Put this down. You should buy everything back there. I've heard everything back there. It's very, very good, firsthand. Uh, this morning, I don't know how long I'll go. I, I just promise you I'll go as, as I feel like there's grace to minister. I think you have your directions. You could leave at 1230. That's okay if you have something to do. If you don't have anything to do and you get offended, stay. And uh, you, <laughs> you can change the way you think. So, uh, but uh, we're, I'm just going to try and lean into what the Lord would have us say this morning. If you would, can you just lift your hands? I just want to pray. Lord, thank you for bringing me here to this place. I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, God, for the assembly of people that have gathered here in this room. And I thank you that there is a corporate man that you're arising in this part of Ohio, the great state of Ohio. And I thank you that you are gathering people, broken, wounded, some mature, some immature, to rise up as eagles and warriors for you in this region to advance the purposes of God. Thank you, God, that you have consistent blueprints that you want this group of people to follow. And so, Lord, we lean into your heart. I ask for uh, words from heaven today that change the earth. Words from heaven that change the earth. Father, in you, through you, and to you are all things. We recognize that you're the source of all things. And we are in need of you. We're in need of you to get up. We're in need of you to speak. So uh, thank you for uh, giving me words and revelation, because without it we perish. And Lord, I just declare I'm sowing the word on good soil today. Let miracles follow the preaching of your word today. Let's just pause a moment. I believe there's three lower backs that the Lord is healing. Right shoulder. Three people in here you have trouble sleeping at night. And right now, Jesus sets you free. 
the name of Jesus Christ, I break you free. One of that, that's like a generational thing. I just I see like Jesus with this pair of scissors just cutting you free. I cut you free in the name of Jesus Christ from that inability to rest and sleep well at night. And I kept feeling and sensing this uh, from the Lord, just this very simple impression. And it's a simple word for many of you. Tomorrow has, yesterday has been completed. So don't look back. Don't look back at your own mistakes. Don't look back of your own failures. Don't look back of what could have been, might have been. But this is a season, says the Lord, of forward momentum. Today you can choose life and death, and I want you to choose life. For in this season I will determine your future, not by what's happened in the past, but what will you choose today. So the Lord says, I invite you to choose today. And in choosing today, you turn aside from looking back and regret and shame and guilt. I just pause for a moment. There's like a reign of the spirit breaking people free from condemnation. And the Lord says to some of you, some of you have thought that was my voice condemning you and causing you to look inward. But I say, look unto me, the author and the finisher of your faith. I'm the one who makes you righteous, and your righteousness has never been based on any performance that you could do, but by simply receiving my gift of forgiveness and my gift of right standing with me. So live today correctly. Live today knowing that you're right standing with me. Live today knowing that you're free to move and act exactly as I've called you to act. And make no mistake about it, you're not a second-class citizen. I have a great future for you. But you'll have to trust me. You'll have to depend on me. And you'll have to know that you can't look back to step forward. I'll heal your past so you can step forward, but keep your future in front of you. And let your future, says the Lord, be determined by how you choose today. Shika yaboho for there's a great transition here in this community of people. I'm transitioning you from a wineskin that you've operated in for many, many years and even was useful in the foundation of certain things. But there's a shift and there's a turn. There's an apostolic grace, not just to stand still, but to advance. To advance forward. To advance and see as I see and rewrite the future for this region. For there's been entrenched uh, strongholds and ideas even among God's people in this region. There's been uh, a complacency even in the purposes and the blueprints of the Lord. But I say to you, I want you to be a Davidic people. How will you advance? How will you move forward? It cannot be, says the Lord, in your own strength. It cannot be in your own might. But it must be knowing that I am the author and the finisher of your faith. And so the Lord says, I stamp you today with what is your inheritance as you move forward and enter into a new chapter in the coming weeks. I stamp you today with the heart of David. I stamp you today with the people whose highest obligation is to know me, to worship me, to experience the pleasure of who I am and to experience the pleasure of fellowship with me. I'm stamping you as a Davidic people. You will overcome through eyesight, through insight, 
to understanding. You will overcome, not by keeping your mouths closed, but by declaring the word of the Lord over the Goliaths that have taunted the people of God in this region. So the Lord says, I'm stamping you like David. I'm stamping you like David, where my desire is that the choices that you'll make would survive hundreds of years after you leave the earth. And the Lord says, live as though the time is short, but bill for the next 200 years, says the Lord. But live as a Davidic people. Live as a worshiping people. Live as a people who are quick to repent. Live as a people who govern like David. Live as a people who see into the future and who act today for the purposes of the Lord. For today, the Lord says, is a new day in the purposes of the Lord. It's a new day of seeing. It's a new day of hearing. It's a new day of adding to the purposes of the Lord. For there will be a great dividing line and a great even uh, turning to God and a turning away from the Lord. And the Lord said it is only those who are rightly positioned who will survive the great shaking that will happen in this nation. And I don't want you just to survive the shaking, says the Lord. I want you to be an overcoming people in every way. Overcoming with good marriages. Overcoming with healthy families. Overcoming in the miraculous. Overcoming financially. Overcoming in building and establishing when many say this is impossible in this season. The Lord says if you'll say yes... There'll be impossible after impossible thing that'll cause this group of people to do. For there have been many divisions here, and there has been a a taking spirit and a disunity spirit, but the Lord says, I'm calling you to come together as many members, one body, as a Davidic people advancing the purposes of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I uh, began to hear that phrase, I think sometime Thursday. Normally, I don't really even know what I'm going to minister a lot of times still. Sometimes right before I stand up. But I kept hearing, House of David. For you as a group of people. And uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, hope you brought them today. Acts chapter 15. You should read and meditate on your Bible like you eat food. Americans are funny people. I've heard people say, I forgot to eat. Abner has never forgotten to eat. I might have gotten caught up doing something, but I've never been like, oh, I forgot to eat. You got to be intentional in digging into the Word of God. That's a clue for some of you who are struggling this morning. If you'll just begin to give the Lord time and more time in the Word of God, it'll begin to change the inside of you. So Acts chapter 15, this is often known as the Jerusalem Council And they're having this discussion, and in this discussion, uh, now this will be interesting and just applicable for even what we prayed for just a few moments ago. Early believers in every one of the apostles, and we know uh, Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. Jesus did not send his disciples 
when he released them, then as apostles, when they preached the gospel of the kingdom, he sent, he sent them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He did not send them to Gentiles, which was non-Jews. So when Jesus dies and resurrects and then ascends and gives them this commission, every one of the early apostles did not see themselves as starting a new religion. They believed that correctly so, that the promised Messiah was Jesus, Yeshua, and he has inaugurated his kingdom. Uh, that's why you see some confusion on their part of what the kingdom of God actually was and what it actually came to do. But they saw this promised kingdom that heaven had broken into their day. It wasn't the full manifestation. That's why they asked him, when will you return fully? But they believed that heaven had broken into their day, and now Jesus is the promised Messiah of God's chosen people, and it was to the Jew first and then the Gentile, that the gospel would begin with the Jew and would extend to the Gentile. Part of the reason I'm saying this is every one of the original apostles, including Paul, obviously, he lived what scholarship describes as law compliant meaning that they continued to go to the synagogue, they continued to celebrate the feast. That's part of the reason that uh, they, were so, they were so come against by even their own people because they began to talk about more and more about the kingdom of God. By the way, most, most apostles would not understand even many of the sociological terms of what we understand today. They would not understand leading somebody to the Lord. They, would, they just understood this concept, surrender to the kingdom of God that has come through Jesus. So they continued to go to synagogue, they continued to celebrate the feast, they continued to uh, even follow many of the dietary laws, and so uh, the, I'm explaining all this is because they did not see themselves as starting a religion, and they didn't consider themselves legalists because they continued to practice those things. Fascinating stuff. So what, what, what is being discussed here is that what do we do now, they, even though he told them, now go into all the world, that, that which I did in you now has to extend to the nations of the earth, that that which he did, so the, the Gentiles are not getting born again, there's certain groups of people go, no, 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 they have to follow the feast, they have to do these things, and so that's why they're meeting. Also notice, interesting part of uh, the end of Acts, when Paul comes into a city, they, they ask him, they, they said, we have some people sell, saying that you don't celebrate the Sabbath anymore. He doesn't deny it. Paul lived what would be a law-compliant life. Part of the reason I'm emphasizing is this, that the Jew was never meant to convert to Christianity. The Jew was simply meant to receive the promised Messiah for his chosen people. It was to the Jew first. That's why that land still belongs to them. That's why, they could, that's why there's never any discussion of what to do with the Jew. The Jew has the liberty to continue to live under certain things, and there's a whole, like you could preach for another five hours on what that actually means for them, but then they're, now they're discussing what do we now do with the Gentiles? The land is theirs. Uh, by the way, too, you have to always add Yeshua, the Messiah, to Judaism, because there's no form of Judaism in the world that is anything close to anything found in Scripture. That's why, key part, even for a believer today, if you are not advancing in truth, you will cease to be relevant in the purposes of God. Most of the Jewish people did not advance in receiving Jesus Yeshua's Messiah. So now what they're practicing is aberrant, is not anything close to Scripture. So that's the danger of not continually learning and growing in the things of God. You cease to be relevant fully in everything that God has for you. 
Most people, I found, stay in one dispensation that they got born again in. They maybe got born again Baptist and maybe sort of hear about the gifts of the Spirit, so then they kind of add that. But they don't continually grow in advance in everything God has. Maybe they become, <laughs> maybe they get into the faith movement because they need some money or anything like that. I'm, I'm word of faith, as Paul says, is the word of faith which we preach. But most people stay stationary in the stream that they got saved in. I encourage you to stay relevant in everything God is revealing according to the word of God in this season. Some of you like that. So, by the way, Jesus, he tells us, he said, I didn't come away to do, do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus is not opposing the law when he comes to teach. Whole, he actually is lifting people to a higher standard of it. I don't think God was a legalist in the old. I think he was really kind and got kinder in the new. Now he actually holds you a higher standard. He tells, I don't know how I got on this, but here we are. But it, it, you, I want to illustrate to you this, that somewhere in church history this got lost, that we are now forcing that, that, that the Jew who got born again and received Jesus had to become a Christian. Now it's reversed. When the Gentiles came in, what do we do with the Gentiles? Now, let me just also say this. There is no statement in Scripture as often taught as spiritual Israel called the church. It was always, there's never one place in Scripture where it tells that Israel, that the Jew loses their ethnical identification and loses who God has called them to be. That's why Paul wrote the Jew it was one new man, the, the branch and then the, the, the olive tree, and then the branch called the Gentiles would be one new man in Messiah Jesus. Now, you got to say, and I also mentioned this too, because if you've been around or a believer for some time, many believers unknowingly, because we've been taught, that was not planned on saying it, but I just, it's going to get it off my chest and feel better about this. But, uh, Many believers, because we grew up in a Christian, doesn't mean they were bad, they have unknowingly thought themselves and thought the promises which can be applied to us. How do we know they apply to us? Because Abraham is the father of our faith. Notice, but it was faith that brought him in. He's the father of us all. But it says we are given that as Gentiles, as believers, but he's still a Jew. So we, we've been brought into that. But, but many, for many years, we've taught that those promises given to the nation of Israel, yes, they apply to the Gentile, but the original application is to the Jew. But many times we've been taught that, 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 that the church is now the spiritual Israel. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. And because of that, many of us, even in our mindsets, have unknowingly embraced an anti-Semitic little piece in our understanding of who God is. So that's why we, the, the people say, well, they rejected God. Well, so does much of the church. Doesn't make the church irrelevant. Doesn't make the true body irrelevant. It's like having a child that is away from the Lord. God's promises for them are still relevant doesn't like God, God doesn't change according to how you act. So there's still the, you see Jesus's passion in this. He says, how I longed to gather you. So I want to encourage you. Get a heart for God's firstborn. So I says, 
In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. If you know historically, I don't know why I wasn't planning on doing all this, but here we are. If you look historically, when Israel was reformed as a nation, they stood on the floor of the United Nations and they appealed not to political reasons, they appealed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they read the scripture of why this land belongs to them. And that whole spiritual Israel thing worked for a while until God supernaturally gave them back that land. Then you go, why is a nation the size of New Jersey so much dispute over? Because the enemy doesn't like to give ground to what belongs to God. Now, also say this, because I know some of you are like, where's he going with this? Israel is one of the most pagan, secular nations in the world. They actually allow, when you're in the army, and everybody's got to join the army, if you're an Israeli citizen, as a young person. They allow abortions. There's great evil. Don't get me started on what they did to their, they were lab experiments for the COVID vaccine. So it doesn't mean what they do is perfect. It just means they are still God's firstborn. And so we pray for them. Like Paul said, I wish all of my people would be saved. And if you want, part of the reason this is important for us, what what does Israel have to do with me? If you're in the body, what matters to God should matter to you. And Americans also have this little problem sometimes when we say someone has been chosen by, are you saying they're better? No, I'm just saying they were God's firstborn and chosen through them. Read Romans. He said, should the branches say, look at us, remember. And they said, least we should fall away too. That's why Israel's important. By the way, they've never gotten all the land that God promised them. Also, you see, every time that they try in an effort to have peace and give up land, the peace never comes. Because you never give, this is just individual, right? You, 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 you never gain ground in the purposes of God when you don't obey God fully in receiving what he has for you. Like, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm just going to, Go to my parents' church because they'll get upset if I go to a different church. You never grain gown by disobeying God. Then it'll be something else next week if you get control with people like that. That's for something. I got very quiet. This was not in my message, but it's right. <laughs> this is amazing the places you end up. Anyway. The entire, so now they're having the discussion. The entire assembly remained silent, listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring what signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles. After they had become silent, James, this is James, by the way, the brother of Jesus. He was not born again during Jesus' time, but now he's gotten born again, and now he's also considered an apostle. James answered, brothers, listen to me. Simon has declared how God first visited the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophet agree, as it is written, after this, I will return, 
excuse me, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, that the rest of men might seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Know to God all his works since the beginning of the world. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. But we write to them to abstain from food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses had in every city in early generations those who preach being read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So this is what they decide, and this is James who kind of declares this, and he, he uh, repeats sometimes what was thought to them as an obscure prophecy, but he repeats a prophecy given by uh, the prophet Amos, and the phrase I want to uh, focus on here right now is this, after this, I will return, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and rebuild it's ruined. And the tabernacle of David can take many expressions, but one of them we know is this, that uh, David, this worshiper of God, which hopefully we'll touch here in a moment, David, this, this, this worshiper, this lover of God, he has a beautiful home, and he, lots of wives too, and lots of other women too, that's interesting. But uh, the Bible's interesting, <laughs> very interesting. Some of you should loose up. I'm just getting started. So uh, he looks one day and he, or he, I believe he sees prophetically because he was a prophet and he decides to put the Ark of the Covenant in a tent and he pays musicians full time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to worship the Lord in this tabernacle because he saw a day where it wouldn't be the, the sacrifice of blood and goats anymore, but that we could all stand before the Lord. And so they worshiped the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and seven subsequent kings after David who instituted what was known as Davidic worship, when they did this, when they put this first, they always won uh, military victory. And I want to suggest to you that, and there's other dimensions to that, you can go on and on about it, but uh, I want to suggest to you that if God is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, he's going to, have new, he's going to need New Testament people like David. Amen. Root word for David is uh, love. And so David, one of the definitions is beloved of God. There are 58 New Testament references to David, including the often repeated title given to Jesus. Notice, it's, this is fascinating to me, that the Son of God and the Son of Man took on this title, the Son of David. I don't fully get that one, except this, that God is not unafraid to identify with weak people. And when he sits on the throne, this is even more fascinating. If you are not fascinated reading scripture, please read the Bible. The, the greatest king, the king of his kingdom, is going to sit in Jerusalem, judge the nations of the earth, and the throne that he sits on is not the throne of Jesus, it's the throne of David. What does that signify? Authority, power, rulership. Paul states that Jesus is descended from David according to the flesh, Romans 1.3. While Jesus is himself is recorded by John as saying, I am the root and the offspring of David, Revelation 22:16. 16. 
So I want to look, I don't know how long we'll do the part two tonight. I want to look at some characteristics that we can pull from the life of David. Yeah, again, if you're following along, look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. David is one of the few people in Scripture that you can almost read a biography of his life. You can almost read uh, every, uh, almost from one end of his life to another. Chronicles has different parts of his life, but if you, if you want to, uh, for me sometimes it's, it could be on the plane, long plane ride, is you can read basically from one end of David's life to another, First and Second Samuel, you'll find that. And uh, very few biblical characters, we get a, a scope of their life like this. And David is a young teenage boy when we begin to uh, read about him. And the prophet Samuel plays uh, an exceedingly important role in his life. Because Samuel, to me, you, you know, the Bible says Moses, but I also think one of the greatest prophets that ever walked the earth, even as an Old Testament prophet, was Samuel. Because 1 Samuel 3 tells us that God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. That means when Samuel was speaking for God, every time he spoke for God, it came to pass. I pray for a New Testament people like that. Amen. He said, if the glory of the old was glorious, how much more? So he plays an exceedingly important role in David's life. And Saul has... Uh, he, he's disobeyed the Lord. God speaks to Samuel. You see Samuel grieved. It, you know... There are things that should grieve your heart. Should grieve your heart. Certain things that are happening in this country right now. You shouldn't be spending time making fun of our president and putting nasty means. That should actually break your heart. President and putting heart. It should cause us every morning to come together and pray for his family and pray for the salvation of his family. So you see the heart of that the one that God told him to anoint king has now been rejected by God. And I believe the whole time, even, even in that place where God has taken his hand off him, he, I believe he, he's still wanting, he, he still has his heart for Saul to come back to him. That's a, a, I, I, if you ever want to know my, when I teach leaders a lot of times, I'll, I'll, what's, your, what's your leadership paradigm? The David paradigm. The David paradigm. So Samuel shows up at uh, David's father's house. We pick up this story here. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him from ruling over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have chosen a king for myself among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer. If you say, I've come to sacrifice the Lord, call Jesse to sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. And you will anoint for me, you will anoint for me whom I tell you to. That's a fascinating line in scripture to me. That every person in this room, no one came to the world without a purpose. That's a fascinating thing about God. Your parents could have been madly in love inside the covenant of marriage and they created you. And out of that intimacy, God goes, that one is set aside to do a particular work for me. 
Or your parents could have barely known each other, not doing the right thing, drugged out, conceived you, and God goes, that one's gonna have purpose for me in the earth. earth. Everyone was created to live with purpose. And purpose, true purpose, can only be found in God. And he said, I have come in, in peace to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate for yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. He, he consecrated Jesse, his sons, and called them to sacrifice. When, he, when, he, when they came, he looked on Eliab and he said, surely the anointed of the Lord is before, before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as a man sees, for a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, I mean, verse 7 is full right there. I want you to notice 1 Samuel 3, encourage you to read that as your homework, is this. God said about Samuel the prophet, he let none of his words fall to the ground. This is not a novice in hearing the voice of the Lord. But we learn a lesson here. You never can assume you know what the Lord is up to. And he said, and it says something else in there. He said, I don't look like you look. I look on the inside. So I'm gonna pause right here. The most important thing about you today is your heart and the positioning of your heart. The most important thing about you today is your heart and the positioning of your heart. The most important thing about you today is your heart and the positioning of your heart. The most important thing about you today is your heart and the positioning of your heart. Now here's something really important too. God cannot do what he's asked you to do. He said, guard your heart with all diligence. Proverbs 4, one of my favorite hundred scriptures that's most important to me. Proverbs 4, guard your heart. Notice he puts the responsibility upon you. There's something actually more powerful than the work of the Holy Spirit in the earth. It's the power that God has given to every person in this room. It's the power of choice. Well, I thought if God wanted it to happen, it would just happen. That'll happen sometimes, but not most of the time. Genesis 1. Let them, doesn't say let us. I know, you've been created to be completely dependent upon God for all things. That's how you've been created. That's, I call it God's divine design. But you will choose if you operate according to God's divine design. What does he tell the nation of Israel? Today, notice it's God who chose it this way. I have set before you, not I'm the one who makes a choice, not I'm the one who makes a choice if you'll fulfill your destiny, not I'm the one who's gonna make the choice if you'll step into a ministry. Now, I'm the one who makes a choice if you're going to prophesy. I'm not the one who makes that choice. I have set before you. 
Now, here's the beautiful thing. Every, listen to me, Linda and Bruce. Everything that God ever requires of human beings, he's first given the power to do. That's why when you truly walk with the Lord, it should be a display of the brilliance of God through you. But it's not independent of you. We got kind of like this weird thing that if God works through us, it's somehow independent of us. That's weird. I don't want to use my daughter to do things for me. I want her to grow into maturity through the things I've taught her to make the right choices to know how to make the right choices. Love what, but then it's so brilliant. We can't help but give God glory, right? What does he say? What does he say uh, to, to the conversation between Philip and Jesus, right? He goes, show us the Father. <laughs> and Jesus is like, have I been with you so long that you don't recognize? He says, if you've seen me. Now, this should be a life goal. We'll pause here, get a high point here. The goal of God for your life is not to get you to heaven. It's for you to be like Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. See, they woke up on the right. Maybe that's why I'm on this side right now. <laughs> and he says, what does he say to him? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen my life, you see what God would do. One of the marks of maturity is that what your life produces, it points to God. What your life produces points to God. So the most defining feature of you is how you choose to position your heart. The greatest power in the earth is the power of a man or a woman who learns how to surrender consistently to the power of God as a lifestyle. That's the greatest power. You yield to that power. Now, here's the lie that you got to kind of relearn when you're learning these things. It's, not, it's not, not automatic. The greatest, the, 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 one of the greatest lies you got to get over is somehow you can do life better than God. You're like, oh, that, that doesn't make sense. No, no, no. What you have to rethink is before we got born again, all of us were completely dysfunctional. We're all one step short of mental illness. What do I say? I'm not even being funny. How does mental illness come? Mental illness comes because we, have a, uh, we begin to believe deluded ideas about reality. So you can't see properly the world without God. And so what happens is most people are like, oh, this is really strange what the Lord said. No, 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 it's not strange. You were strange before you got born again. And God has given you a new heart, Ezekiel 36. He's given you a new way of operating. But you still have a Windows 95 that you think is normal. <laughs> it's true. It's the only way I know how to put it. And you like Windows 95. So you think, no, 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 that's normal. What God is asking you is normal. How you're thinking, this is New Jersey, it's not in Scripture, you're thinking stupid. 
So he's trying to deliver you of stupidity and don't hold on to it. So we see here, just a life principle. Never assume you know what the Lord wants to do. Never assume. Even, now notice where you could have missed it. God sends him into a situation. And we'll read here. He's going to go through all the brothers. Like every time I read this story, I think I probably would have missed it. I would just pray in the spirit. God told me to go. God told me to go. It's got to be one of these. He inquired of the Lord. Or he asked a question. Ask questions. Is there someone else? Like I would have just prayed in the spirit, picked one and, you know, blow the shofar. It's good to go. Did the best I could, God. Notice, too, that Scripture asks us to do certain things. Continue on here. And Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. So Jesse made the seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to him, notice he, he asked a question. This is, to me, I love this because this is practical life. You're like, the Lord sent me here. I'm going to anoint somebody, but he's not in the room. What do I do? I don't know if you realize this, but every situation the Lord sends you in, he wants you to see how inadequate you are in yourself to getting the job done. One of the marks of maturity, again, is that in several, probably in hopefully in at least five things in your life that you know that the Lord is inviting you to that you cannot do in your own strength. You cannot make it happen. You can't put the right website up. You can't put the right... Now, there's practicality to it, but there, 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 there should be this invitation constantly for you to do things you've never done before. Do you, do you realize that the first act that God ever asked man to do was to name animals, and he never had experience doing it. Like, if, if, if your faith is simply being utilized so you can get to heaven one day, you're living far below what God intended you to live. There remains yet the youngest, there he is shepherding the flock, and Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him here, for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent him and brought him in. Now he was right, he, excuse me, he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and good looking and, and, and good appearance. Now my translation says in parentheses like Abner. I don't know, it's a, very, it's a very limited translation, but I don't know if you have that in your own Bible. And the Lord says, arise and anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. He's probably uh, definitely no more than 16 or 17 years old, but he's anointed to be king. And I want you to notice something else. His own father, different reasons. We don't find it explicitly in scripture, but his own father does not bring him to in front of the great prophet. They know he's come for a particular reason, and even though he's a son of Jesse, he does not bring him to the meeting. It's fascinating. 
Some people think it's because he's an illegitimate son of Jesse. I think I, I, I go with that one a little more because he, he'll later say in the Psalms, in sin I was conceived. But here's the beautiful thing. God finds him. How many know we didn't find God? God found us. He's always looking for people. But I also want you to notice something else, which hopefully we'll probably pick up tonight. His own father does not bring him to this very special occasion. I want to suggest to you that part of our discipleship process and walking with the Lord is learning to live past family dysfunction. touch on this a little more, but if you'll notice Genesis 1.28, let us create man in our image. I believe the seraphim, the cherubim, all of them are watching God make an extension of his family that was supposed to rule the earth. And what does he do? He makes them in his image. He calls them to have dominion. The first, why do you think there's so much attack against us in the world today? Healthy earth, healthy nations are built on healthy families. You'll see just a sliver of this in the story, but you were created in the image of God, still are, every person in this room. But you were also created in the image of your parents. <laughs> your parents were supposed to be the first expression you saw of what God was supposed to look like. From the moment you were conceived, you were created as a learner. So your understanding of the world began in the family dynamic you grew up in. Why do you think one of the reasons that God identifies through Jesus the Son. By the way, when you see Jesus, you see everything that God desired for a human being. He's fully God, fully man, never stops being God, even though he lives as a man on the earth. It's fascinating stuff. It's a, it's a mystery. Like, you want to talk about humble? Like, people are like, I'm leaving this church because, you know, I'm offended at that. Like, and the one who's our model lived in the world that he created, sits in a synagogue hearing people talk about the word, and he was the word, forgave. You're like, I'm offended. If anyone had a right to be offended, it was Jesus. Yes. We'll get on to that in a minute. But family unit. God created our understanding of God to come through the family that God gave us. So part of your deliverance and your discipleship is the healing of your heart from any dysfunction you didn't get as a child. Amen. So I says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. He's got to even overcome some family dysfunction. But notice the beauty. In the very next story, you'll see that he honors his father who perhaps did not 
believe in him. His obedience to his father is what unlocked a great part of his destiny. One of the great characteristics about David is that he was a man of honor. So he anoints David, the prophet, gives him a purpose. It's New Old Testament picture of salvation. The moment you got born again. How many are born again this morning? How many are not sure if you were not born again? How many would not raise their hand? Because now it's 1231. I'll land the plane in just a few moments. I know you're American. Suffering for the Lord. More than two hours in a church building today. <laughs> Taking one for the team, you know. Most of you watched Ohio State yesterday a whole lot longer than two hours. <laughs> he anoints him. The moment you got born again, the Holy Spirit came upon the inside of you and sealed you with a purpose. But it's not God who will determine if your eternal purpose gets fulfilled on the earth. God overrode any dysfunction in David's family, anoints him. Now notice the power, Old Testament obviously, power of the Holy Spirit came upon him to do everything that God had called him to do the moment he got born again. The moment you got born again, you were empowered to do everything that God had ever called you to do. Amen. Let me get, give you more, more good news. Everything you ever needed, everything this church would ever need, God has already laid aside it before the foundation of the earth. God does not send anyone to earth without resourcing everything that they need. Amen. Now, because of that, you lose the right as a believer to ever, ever have any place in your heart, in your mind that thinks like a victim. Amen. Now, you got to hit this one because culturally, but, but, but listen, this is generationally though too. Notice in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve believed the wrong thing. And, Adam, and God holds Adam and goes, what did you do? Adam, to paraphrase, what does he do? He blames his wife. Instead of taking responsibility, he became a victim. And this is very prevalent even among God's people. It might not be so apparent sometimes, but sometimes there's somewhere, little bit in our, little bit of grain there, of victim thinking. Probably over the last eight or nine years, I've worked a lot with leaders. And you know what that means? You get called into lots of meetings where there's problems. And one time lady said, you don't understand. Could have been a man. Men do this too. But this is a woman. I married him. And look what's happened. Subtly, what was she saying? I felt like I did what God told me to do. Now all these problems are God's fault. I'm a victim because I did what God told me to do and I have all these problems. So instead of looking on the inside and going, Am I contributing to anything happening in this conflict? 
I've made myself a victim of the situation and I want to blame God for it. I'm not saying difficult things haven't happened to you. I certainly wouldn't suggest. So I get 22 years of ministry. You, Jesus. The horrific things people have gone through. But one of the number one things I say to people if, they're, if they want to listen, or I'd like to hear what you have to say, is it's very painful. You don't deny the pain. You don't deny the pain. You don't deny the trauma. That's weird, too. You know, how are you doing? Fine. Oh, looks like you are, you know. <laughs> looks like everything's healthy. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the marks sometimes you're being influenced a little bit by a religious spirit is the refusal to recognize reality. It's okay to go, no, that really hurt me. That really wounded me. Or that hurt me when my spouse said this. Or this, this hurt me when this happened in this church. Or this hurt me when this leader said this. This, this hurt me when this happened at work. Nothing wrong with that. But then you have the privilege of going, Lord, whatever. And also, many times when you've been hurt, it will also trigger something else that you've been hurt in that you need healing from as well. Never waste your trauma. Now, this is really important because God's going to move like never before. I'm telling you, really. But if you keep having a bunch of religious people who don't recognize, hey, this hurts. Hey, I need to hand this over to the Lord. I need to work through this, maybe with the counselor or deliverance, inner healing. Then we're just going in circles. We've added a little fire to our own dysfunction. But you, you can refuse to be a victim of what's happened to you. And I encourage you today, this is your homework for this app, ask God, God, are there any areas in my thinking, even just a little bit, that I've embraced victim thinking? Because it is so common in our culture. Think about this. A number of years ago, we had an actor who faked getting beat up. Top one, less than 1% of income in the world, blessed. But he thought being a victim could advance his career. Why else would you make up what he made up? That's just one instance. And also the enemy loves to celebrate people as heroes who are living in rebellion against God. You're not a hero. I don't, I, I, we love these people, but you're not a hero because you wear a dress and you're a man. You're not courageous. You need help. We love you, we care about, but you're not a hero. So you have a purpose that must ever deny that you've been made a victim. Now you'll notice here, and I am coming to my second conclusion. He's anointed to be king, but he is not the king the next day. There's a process. I define processes this way. Process is the journey to trust God in every situation. Sometimes people have, I've seen people and I observe them, really good. They got the vision. 
But that's really often where the internal work really begins at that point. And there are people, listen to me, there are people who will enter eternity with the greatest prophetic destiny, not having fulfilled them because they haven't properly stewarded the journey of life. Very next chapter, and we'll, we'll land here, we'll pick up tonight. Did you get something out of this this morning? We don't know if it's the next day, but we read this, verse, uh, 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines gathered their armies for battle and were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Sukkot and Ahizah and Ephes, and Saul and the Israel's fighting men were gathered. They camped in the valley of Elah. They drew up in battle order to meet the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were standing at the base of a mountain on the one side, excuse me, and Israel was standing at the base of the mountain on the other side, and the, there was a valley between them. I'm not going to read verses uh, 4 through 7, but you'll, you'll notice there that the writer puts inside of there how all these descriptions of who Goliath is. That's your homework. Read that this afternoon. I encourage you to do that. And I believe there's a reason he puts that in there. There's always a reason, but this is one of the reasons I believe he puts it in there. He puts it in there to show us how strong and how powerful Goliath looked if you just looked at him with your natural eyes. He also tells us he's a champion, which means everybody who fought died. Back to your heart. I don't know if you realize this, but your heart has eyes. And I'm going to land the plane here. Hopefully we'll pick up a little more tonight. Hope you come tonight. God wants you to come, most of you. Most of you are not doing anything Sunday night, really. You might as well give it to God, really. I know some of you rest on Sunday night, but sometimes walking with the Lord causes a little discomfort. It really is. The life of walking with the Lord is not a life of convenience. It's just not. It's worth every choice, though. You'll never regret saying yes to God. Amen. You just will never regret saying yes to the Lord. Your heart has eyes. And I'll make this point here. You do not live in the world that exists out there. You do not live in the world that exists out there. You live in the world that you perceive to exist out there. We'll read tonight, hopefully, you'll see that all these men trained for battle will look at Goliath and go, and by the way, he also speaks. They'll go, no way. So their perception of the world is defined by how they view Goliath. I'll give you another example. It'll be fun. You're a little bit of political people, so I can say this and have some fun. Right before... Uh, COVID, uh, in December of that year, I was invited to speak to this group of South American leaders. And uh, I was talking a little bit of on this lines. And I said, you know, you don't live in the world that exists out there. You're your perception of the world. And I said, let me give you an example. I said, President Donald Trump, the apostle leading the network goes, great man, 
My interpreter looked like she needed deliverance. (laughs) You don't live in the world that exists out there. You live in the world that you perceive to exist out there. Your perception of reality defines you. In fact, probably the great majority, this is not being prophetic, but the great majority, this is kind of just psychologically, the great majority of you have already decided what you're going to do tonight. And I want to land with this prophetically. The Lord reminded me of this. On August the 12th, 2021, the Lord spoke to me and he said, we're in a defining moment. He just said this, we're in a defining moment for the body of Christ. And I never even knew there was a definition for defining moment. There is. Do you know sometimes the Lord will speak things to you and just leave it out there. And it's your own personal hunger and in your inquiry of God that will determine if you'll understand what he was saying. When he talked about the kingdom of God, he said, the kingdom of God is like a man. Now notice he says, the man searches for the treasure. One of the reasons that, and here's the thing, God wants to reveal himself to everybody. He really does. You were created to be, for God to reveal stuff to you. But one of the reasons he doesn't tell everyone everything he'd like to tell them is because some people are not interested. Some people would never take what he told them and do something with. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It just means you'll have less to give him when you get there. And he doesn't, he's really kind. He doesn't want to judge you for truth he reveals to you that you'll never do anything with. Once he reveals something to you, he holds you responsible for doing something about it. This is, a, this is a place you come week after week. You either get changed and delivered or get mad and leave. No, really, it is. It's like you forced with a choice every week. Defining moment, the point at which the essential nature or character of a person or group is revealed. Sometimes I'll go into Numbers 13, but there are places of promise that the Lord wants to take his people in this season. And God so desires everyone to go there. But it's your ability to adjust to what God is speaking, the ability to adjust your heart, to repent. And it it takes, you know, it takes a really courageous person to properly walk with the Lord. Because you could... You could be, uh, you could love Jesus, Shandai, for 25 years, love the word of God, could be a leader. But the more you walk with the Lord, he'll go, yeah, that place, that place right there, that's not working very good for you. That's actually a demonic thought process that you need to get healed of. Amen. It takes a lot of courage to do that, humility. Unless you're, notice the child thing. Unless you're like a child, you cannot receive the king. He's not saying, unless you're born again, what's he saying? I got to retrain you like a little, a dearly loved child. But you got to have the courage 
to get delivered of your mental illness. Even if you're 55 years old and have walked with the Lord and you have a title in ministry. He doesn't reveal to her. That's bad prophecy. He reveals to heal, to build, and to change your family lineage. That's real Jesus. He doesn't comfort you to say stupid. What do I mean by that? One day, right, he's talking. Thank you for being hungry. I'm just going to keep going until the Lord has me done. I'm almost done. I do feel that. Right? He's teaching. This is, this is, this is what it's like to walk with Jesus. They're like, we love the kingdom. Yes, we're going to get back at those Romans. And then he starts saying some things, right, that they're like, if he keeps preaching that stuff, we're all ended up in jail. He reads their thoughts. And notice he doesn't comfort them. He doesn't comfort them with the, with the victory message. You know, we'll talk, probably talk about that today. He goes, don't worry about someone who can throw you into prison. Worry about the one who can determine the state of your eternal soul. They're thinking here. They're like, oh, my gosh. This stuff is going to guess. And guess what? They all, except one, have the courage to die for him. He didn't comfort them with the overcome the world message. He comforted them with going, no matter what, we will trust the word of God. We will obey the word of God. We will do what you told us to do because even if we die, we know we're pleasing you. God, God. You're like, how can that be that God's purpose aren't established in a generation? God wanted the nation of Israel to go into the promised land. As we say, I live in the South now. I grew up in New Jersey. I'm a Jet fan, so that's why I need lots of counseling. <laughs> so I'm working through it. I am. Play the Eagles today. But he wanted the nation of Israel to go in. As we say in the South, right now. Right now. Not tomorrow. What did they do? They looked the wrong way. They're too big. And you also see another principle in there. They came back. Not The whole nation wasn't there. But they came back, and these scouts infected a whole nation. Who are you listening to? that's infecting you in the wrong way. Be careful who you listen to these days.